Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com and the graphic novels reviews editor for Publishers Weekly. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. This week on More to Come, New York Comic Con all day long. So <laughs> we've uh, just been through the uh, annual um, orgy of comics, if that's not an inappropriate term to use. Um, and we're going to just we're going to deliver our impressions of, of you know the biggest uh, uh, pop culture conference yeah, well, on the East Coast. Still, we're all still recovering from it, and uh, no you know doubt. I'm I'm just getting the con crud as we're doing this. So uh, you know, turn up the boost a little on me. Yeah, well, Heidi but, uh, did our did our conference report. So you want to start out? Well, uh, um, you know, I mean, I think the big thing is that the badges worked. I think everybody going yes. in thought that the new radio RFID technology with the badges that required you to tap in and tap out was going to be a fiasco, but uh, it wasn't. And I kind of had figured that out by the day before the show beginning. I was sort of like, you know, everybody, you know, people in comics hate change. Well, all people hate change. And I, I think there's been so many issues of crowding at New York Comic Con in the past where it was dangerously overcrowded um, and, uh, you know, just unpleasant, uh, uh, unbearable, really. Uh, I think everybody was a little skeptical, but it actually worked, and they cut down totally. I think what it really cut down on was the number of people who just waltzed in without a badge. Yeah. Because previously they had the security set up at the entrance to each hall, whereas this year they had it in the hall. Like, like basically they had it outside the Javits Center. Yeah, like, you yeah. walk into the parking lot and you had to tap in. And so it, it just made a much larger area for everybody to um I thought you know, it was going to be I thought it was going to be a disaster I was completely wrong mm-hmm. um as your story puts it uh it manages to grow and be less crowded <laughs> I mean well <laughs> how what, do you work well, that, that that's nifty pretty trick. incredible I mean I think I think there's going to be a lot of talk I think there's a watershed show first off I think it was the first comics convention that did use RFID technology mm-hmm. which is uh, standard issue at large events like music festivals and, and so on. Um, and I, I think people are going to talk a lot about really how many people were there in the last year. There was 133,000 mm. people that they counted this year. Mm. and Up from uh, 116,000 officially last year. Yeah, and it was not as crowded as it no, was. And I mean, it was, not, it was crowded, but it wasn't but as crowded. No, and I mean, how many people? Lance told me he thought maybe as many 20,000 people had gotten in without badges in the last few years so uh and yet that's still not as many as actually were there so so yeah it's a puzzlement and it also i mean as once again as you put it in your story i mean it puts new york comic-con attendance wise certainly on the same level as the biggest pop culture Mm -hmm. show in north america san diego comic-con right it is they're they're both the two behemoths of the uh of the con the uh, circuit of the mega cons yeah and i mean i would guess san diego's actual attendance is also way way way, way higher since people official. go without badges they do hang out mm-hmm. um you know badge swapping is there's, there's uh easily be, accomplished there it's not gotta be a wink, wink list too i mean you know some people have to be getting in that somehow or other aren't on the official tally um well, yeah. uh, you know, Lance made a point of telling, uh, he's done a couple of interviews now, Lance Fasterman, who runs New York Comic Con, he's made a point of saying that they discovered via the RFID that uh, the biggest source of fraud was exhibitors. 
And now, Kate, you had didn't you have a, a thing where you couldn't get back in, or they stopped you, or something? What what happened with you? You actually, oh, um, there are a number of things. Like for example, one of my exhibitors swiped out wrong, mm-hmm. so there was a little like exhibitor services table you had to go over to and be like, "Please fix my badge," and then they would. Um, and then let's see, didn't you go out too you fast? You had to go I, if you go out too fast, you then have to go over to the little exhibitor service table. Where was the exhibitor service? How do you go out too table? fast? What does that mean? Well, if you're when ex- I went, when I was leaving, going basically no, 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 that, that, that's no. the different situation. No, no. Um, if you go in and out the exhibitor entrance mm-hmm. with an exhibitor badge. Mm-hmm. And if you're an exhibitor and you need to go out and bring in your booth workers. Which right. is what you did. Which so is what I so did. you went out with a badge for one of your booth workers. Mm-hmm. Right. If Then she was right there. I handed her the badge. Uh, we turned around to come in. It was I too see. soon. Uh, we had I to stand see. around the lobby for about three minutes uh, before we could turn around and come back in. Uh, did you have to go to booth exhibitor services for that? or? Well, there was, I mean, there was a... There was a little black table next to the exhibitor's <laughs> entrance, and I'm calling it Exhibitor Services, sure. although it did not have such a name right. on it. And there were very helpful people at the little black there table who Whatever dealt they with called, such things. <laughs> they were what you needed. Right. Um, but they were very helpful. Did they tinker with your badge? They took my badge, they swiped it, then they do something with the computer, and then... But we that said, you're a scofflaw is what they did. They put you on a watch list, Kate, and now... <laughs> and now, not only is the NSA yeah. watching you, but apparently read pop. Yeah, drones, man, drones. <laughs> well, we, we drones did have, city! <laughs> we did have a little problem where um, one of our booth workers decided that she was just going to drop her badge at the table and walk out, even though you're supposed to tap out. Mm-hmm. And so they detained her for a little while, but I guess they didn't know what to do with her, so they kicked her out. <laughs> they should, so there were detainees? It, it, well, they, they, they talked to her and were a little annoyed. And uh, so, I, so, I don't know all the details. You have more stories about all of this than anybody I've heard at the show, actually. And, and let me stress, this is... Well, Kate had to manage she, What she did. I'm not, I'm, my point is, I don't think you did anything wrong. I no, mean, I didn't no. do anything no. wrong. Like, I, maybe I only brought in the right number of exhibitors. Mm-hmm. Um. It was totally legit. I didn't use even one badge for two people in the same day. Mm-hmm. It was what we were supposed to do. Right. Um, we did have a little blip where I sent out one of the booth workers to pick up another booth worker named Rachel, complete with a physical <laughs> this description. Is, this and, is like a sitcom. Yeah. Well, like. Rachel didn't bring a cell phone for reasons best known to herself. And, Suicide. Yeah. And so when Elizabeth went out to let Rachel in, she saw someone who met Rachel's physical description and said, are you Rachel? And this person <laughs> said, mistake. yes, I am Rachel. Are you the person from the booth I'm supposed to be working for? And so Elizabeth said, oh, how great. Brought her in. Uh, other Rachel worked at our booth for half an hour until original <laughs> Rachel. This is what I find. The, the, the big PW sign didn't clue her in at any point that maybe this I, was the wrong booth. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I do know that a lot of booths oh, find their right. extra booth workers on, like, Craigslist and may not explain <laughs> yeah. things very well. That's true. Could be. So, I mean, it could have been a legitimate mistake or it could have been someone with an eye for the main chance. I don't know. Eventually, the correct Rachel was retrieved, came to the table, said, who are you, to wrong Rachel, and wrong Rachel said, Rachel, <laughs> and then there was a bit of a stare down. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but this was all gone by the time I got to the booth. This is wow. all secondhand. Uh, I came back from the panel I was at, and everything was fixed, well, but I had some very uh, alarmed-looking booth workers. One thing I wanted to ask uh, Heidi about, I, I think in your story you mentioned that uh, one of the things um, 
Lance talked about was the percentage of women that were at New York Comic Con. Uh, so like well, I think this is a whole big giant. This is an issue. But before we get through this, because mm-hmm. I want to go back to this whole other thing, because I, I think what what we're talking about here, there were two big problems at the con, and one of them will has to do with the number of women, and we'll get to that. Mm. But the first one was uh, that. That you know, there was the uh, Twitter mishap where they did use <laughs> these <laughs> zombie Twitter. And you saw the story about how they used the information to tweet from yours, and you know, I mean, I think it was just I wrong. Think the the issue, I mean, I think this is a serious issue going forward, and and I would really urge Reed Pop to think very long and hard about this because that was obviously a very inappropriate use of. You don't per- ter- take over people's yeah. Twitter and pretend to be Truly them. You just yeah. don't. And even teenagers don't like that. In fact, no, nobody especially likes Especially teenagers don't like that. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, it's an active lie. It's it one thing to say, like, uh, Bob Smith is now at New York Comic Con. I mean, right. that's a little creepy, but it's still not pretending to be Bob. Right. But if it's like, hi, I'm Bob. I love New York Comic Con. Yeah. That's a step that's, too far. That's way too far. So the other thing is, like, you know, now that they found out that exhibitors... Uh, have badge fraud. I mean, I don't think anything you did was fraudulent, but no. yet you got stopped three times. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't... They just had safeguards for fraud. None of them treated me like I was no, perpetuating fraud. No, I understand fraud. that, but, but I, 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 think, I think they need a lot more clarity about... I think they need a lot more... About what you're allowed to uh, do more, and how you're yeah, allowed to do uh, it. What, what, not clarity, but what, what's the word? Transparency. I think they need a lot... I think Reed Pop needs a lot of transparency about what they're going to do with this, this information because they have a ton of it. Yeah. And uh, it needs to be used wisely and some of the things they did show that it wasn't being used wisely. Yes. So, I, you know, and I mean, not that I, I think the show solved a lot of its problems, but created brand new ones. So, so uh, yes, yeah. Th- th- as far as the forty percent of women, actually, that's uh, I've, I've been told that that was last year they gave the numbers forty percent. This year is closer to thirty five percent. I don't know. I feel like walking through the con mm-hmm. and being at the con, it looked like oh, I don't know, a normal city street. Yeah, in the Without the gender mix, which yeah. felt and the normal racial to me. mix. I mean, it was very it, much, like a normal city. It street. was like it was like New York. It was, but yeah. and it, but it was younger. It was a very young crowd. What did you you know, Kate? You were working. It was, it was definitely very young. And yeah, I've I, never seen so many throngs of people throughout every area of, yes. the, of the building. Yes. it was dense with people, though the crowds kept moving. Uh, very impressive. Everywhere in the, the Javits Center you went, mm-hmm. the lower levels, um, the the lobby areas out there, packed. It seemed at all hours of, uh, of pretty oh, much yeah. every day of the show. It was packed the whole time. I mean, I will say it felt like the average age, if you took everybody and pooled their ages together and averaged them together, the average age was like 24. Mm-hmm. I would say so. so. But yes. I, I would say maybe like know. the median age is what you're saying, like mm-hmm. the median or the, like no, the number you... of people above and below or just the average age. Well, I mean, there were not only a lot of teens, but there were yeah. also a lot of 20 and 30 something. Right, right, so right, right, if right. you really yes. averaged them yeah. together, I mean the mean, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think it would be about okay. 24. Yeah. But um, I mean, it was very young. I mean, every where you looked were young teenagers. I would I, say I, the majority, maybe the the mode was like kids between maybe 13 and 21. I mean, if you can yeah, I think generalize. it's that a lot of people who were raised, uh, well, through adulthood or at least older teenhood in the last decade, um, see this as a normal, fun thing to do, mm-hmm. yeah. not as something that in any way is embarrassing. Um, it makes perfect sense to me because you know at the ICV2 conference someone was like it's now the hottest ticket in town 
uh, convention wise hotter than the auto show and i'm like well yeah i mean <laughs> you want to so, look at you? some cars <laughs> well or you want to see your favorite tv a show a lot of people love cars kate well, i know yeah, i know but, but, but still I mean, like, you're I'm not, yeah, as long as i don't I have th- to yeah. own them but yeah. still in well, all the, this pop culture fest i mean it brings together so many areas of intense yeah intense um love. Uh, personal uh, uh love and, and attachment uh yeah. yeah it's pretty hard to com- compare it to a car show yeah i mean i think for people especially in new york yeah I think if you are even vaguely pop culture interested and you're under 30, it seems like a no-brainer that you would rather go to the Comic-Con right. than now, the car show. I think it's open to question as to how many of them were actually engaged with comics. I mean, I think a lot of them were there for video games. I think a lot of them were there for the national brand. If well, you, you know, went back to the video game competition area in the back, it looked like you were at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> I mean, it was it was I don't even know how to describe it. it was an arena back then well I mean I will say I was Battle in, Royale our booth was kind of in comic book land and we had no shortage of young people going yeah. by I mean I think you, you saw a lot of people who are into web comics you saw a lot of people who are into manga and you saw a lot of people who are into comics but not wedded to DC and Marvel the way previous mm. generations were and yes. I don't think that yes. that counts as not into comics. Oh, I, I, I think... Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. no I, I'm not saying absolutely. you don't. I'm yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I'm, no, I think that you, you meant just there for video games yeah, no, or yeah. movies or the TV stuff. No, you know, no, but I'm... As opposed to purely there for comics of some kind. I think a lot of them were there for cartoons. I just think that, while I think a lot of people also like cartoons, there's a big crossover and so on. I mean, you know, there were so many Homestuck costumes. Mm. Yeah. It's um, crazy. You know, I mean, that's a webcomic. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I think there were some people who were just there for video games, but I think more there was some crossover. There was a lot, there was a lot of crossover. There was a lot of costumes yeah. there, too. <laughs> I mean, it was truly a pop culture show that yeah. had comics as the, the old, yeah. you know, overriding theme, maybe, but... But, uh, but uh, I didn't feel like the comics were getting swamped or lost at all, because the comics panels were packed. Yeah. No, it's uh, absolutely true. Like, uh, like uh, the, in the even in the large halls. Didn't you go to Hall, hall E, where they had... Didn't Wasn't the DC Nation... Did you go to the, the DC or the Marvel panels in Hall no, E? No, uh, the lines were too long. Okay. Um, what I did <laughs> go to... What I did go to is, um, after failing to go to the S.H.I.E.L.D. panel, when I was like, I've got an hour, surely that'll be enough. Nope, it filled up two hours before. I was like, I don't care. Later... I was able to go to the Person of Interest panel and the Sleepy Hollow panel, mm-hmm. and they didn't fill the bo- I mean, they had a lot of people there, but they had room. They were not actually as packed as at least the comic-adjacent things, mm-hmm. like S.H.I.E.L.D. or like Marvel right. this or interesting. Marvel that. Interesting. They had people. People liked it, but it was not the same kind of... Mm-hmm. Well, craziness. Well, it's funny you mentioned Curse of Interest because that's a uh, very top-rated show, and I love it. Actually, it's a great show. And it's and it has CBS, a lot of fans, but it's kind of like a Matlock show. If you take no, my meaning. no, actually, I it's it's, it. it's oh, it's really really good. Yeah. It's, I love yeah. it, but actually, I would say it's not a Matlock show. Well, it's on CBS, so well, it's on CBS, but it's made by the people who brought you the Dark Knight mm-hmm. movies, or at least half that team, Jonathan yeah. Nolan, yeah. and it's basically how should we put this? A stealth superhero yeah. show. Yeah, I would I, I would agree, but. Anyway, I, I, it's interesting that but that wasn't. Yeah, but it's not related to a comic book property, right. and it attracted a very different type of fan. Although not old people, <laughs> they were they were young. 
But well, let's not doubt there were old people at the show too. And being a representative of that, you know, right. uh, unfortunate demographic. Yeah, myself uh, as well. So. Uh, no, there were no shortage. There, there were some out age mature. No, let's call well. them mature veterans. Yes, there um, were some mature, you know, perhaps veteran. comics outliers. But, but we were there, and mm-hmm. and I we would wink at each other across, uh, you know, yes. through our bifocals across as the, the hall. as you uh, waited for the return <laughs> yes, of Matlock. We would wave our canes <laughs> and walkers at each other. <laughs> well, let's... I will actually say the Matlock demographic really likes Big Bang Theory, which weird me out yeah. but moving on well Odd, the popularity my grandma show, but there you go like well, you, you know what we, we're 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 let's we're running out of time okay, let's yeah. talk about the uh other big issue at the con which was harassment cosplay mm. and um uh, security and security because it all seemed to go in you know as the shows become more mixed uh it's definitely become more integrated in terms of uh women uh walking around Many of them in costumes that are designed to be very provocative. And, uh, you know, some of them... Uh, but the, I, I don't know. I've seen so it the well. whole show. I mean, I think New York Comic Con has always had a fairly large female Absolutely. contingent. Absolutely. Yes. It's I not agree. a new thing. No, I agree. I agree. But I. But anyway, this year there was a lot more issues with... And a large contingent of skimmy costumes. Yeah. That said, uh, if the, uh, the levels of harassment are going off the scale, there's well, something that the... the well, uh, the management needs to really take a seriously. It is okay. something they need to take seriously. What I suspect happened is that not that more women were coming, but that more obnoxious dudes looking to harass people Look realized there would be hot cosplay chicks there and were like, hey, wouldn't it be funny to go make their lives miserable? Yeah. There was a, in particular, there was one camera crew there from a, yeah. uh, from a cable access show called Man Banter. Uh, they were pretending to be from Sirius uh, XM, which is Howard Stern's uh, radio network, but they went and they would get costume uh, uh, female cosplayers and start interviewing them and say very inappropriate things and make yeah, people they, uncomfortable. They'd start with a couple normal questions and then they'd veer off into yeah. crazy pants. And land. apparently, a couple things. Number one, they were there. Uh, last year, I'm now learning, and uh, nothing was done about it. But I mean, maybe people were afraid to complain. You know, that's often or didn't a, know who to talk or to. didn't know who to talk to, right? And you know, apparently, if this went on for a while, and finally they were kicked out, and you know, everything was done to get rid of them. Okay. Uh, but but they were reported the day before they were yeah, kicked out. Yeah, I mean, there I, was a long period of time of people being like, "Hey, these dudes are being inappropriate," right. and them not being booted off right. the floor. And I there was also to me even. Uh, you know, more troublingly, because I, I mean, it's very, very bad. I, I'm not trying to put more oh, yeah, uh, to, to say that cosplay harassment isn't a very serious problem. But I mean, this has kind of been bubbling under for a while. But this was something I hadn't heard in quite a while. Uh, was that even female professionals? I yeah. mean, a number of them said to me, Becky Cloonan wrote about it, but others in private told me that they had had a lot of people coming, you know, men coming up to them and saying, oh, you're, you're the cutest artist of all. And uh, you know, things that were sort of kind of disrespectful, I think. And, um, you know, I, 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 there seemed to be kind of a culture of, uh, I don't know, lawlessness, a culture of disrespect, I think, that has, has come out. And, and you know, I, I, there have been reports of harassment at PAX shows also. Yeah. And which are also yes. read run by Reed, yeah. Reed Pop. And, I, you know, this is something they need to take very, very seriously. Yeah, without and I, a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. Um, I mean, it's all very well to have in your list of guidelines, you know, naked is not a costume. Right. But they don't list harassing your fellow congoers of either gender will get you kicked out. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. just, it's not and, there. I read the book. It's not there in their obvious this, guideline list. As we've entered this new world of kind of free-flowing crowds uh, that, that just take over the, um, the Javits Center, 
it's it's uh, even more pressure on uh, I think the organizers to make sure that people are safe. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean because there were yellow shirted security people everywhere, which is good. But I think a lot of them did not have clear guidelines about what they yeah, were supposed absolutely. to do in these situations. Because some of which them were bad. Some of them were great, and some of them were very confused about what they were supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I heard this everywhere. Some people were not, you know, some people weren't let into panel rooms that they said were full. They were only that weren't even full. They would close the doors. I mean, that's you know trivial. But uh, you but know, it just speaks to them not yeah. being given good enough guidelines. Yeah, exactly. And you know, listen, I will say there's there's this is a real human nature issue. I was complaining to people early on in the con when I said, you know, there's a lot of male cosplayers who go around without any underwear on and tights on purpose so that people will stare at their junk. And I mean, that is very obvious that this is happening and. You know, I mean, of course, it's their right. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying it makes me feel disturbed, but, uh, you know, this is I mean, I'm saying like people people need to come clean and not just by showing their junk. You know, well, I mean, <laughs> I will say that I saw someone people. Two- we are still in public here. So yeah. cosplayers, male and female or certainly the males like, you know, come on, be for real. You know, be respectful. Uh, um, I, I did say see a woman who was breaking it is not a cosplay rule. I mean. She was wearing sufficient body paint that maybe they didn't notice the fact mm-hmm. that she was naked, except for a skirt. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I think that might be in violation a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. Um, well, I, I but just, but, it, and it's not just outliers. female, co- it's not just female <laughs> cosplayers who get trouble from this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, I've had heard very reliable reports from several anime conventions that some badly behaved teenage girls, um, harassed some male cosplayers who were dressed as their mm-hmm. favorite characters. Um, it doesn't, it should just be a simple policy that you can't harass your fellow condors. Yeah. But I, whatever gender they are, whatever gender you are. Well, let me, let me ask you this, okay, because I feel like you're way more hep to yeah. what actually goes on than, than uh, you know, an old fart like myself. But, you know, I think it's obvious to me that some cosplayers are exhibitionists and want well, a hell of a... They want people to stare at well, them. Well, it's, it's one thing to be an exhibitionist but and, and to want people to find you attractive and to take pictures of you and so on. But that doesn't mean that you have to behave badly about the fact that they're exhibitionists. I mean, uh, yes. you know, oh, absolutely. You, can, you can enjoy sure. the show mm-hmm. and without being... And so can everyone else. Yes, they but, can enjoy yeah. being an exhibitionist. That's what you can enjoy the fact that they are exhibitionists right. But, I mean, I don't think it would be uh, inappropriate to just yeah. put a little more clearly in the guidelines that nothing that would get you arrested on the street in the convention. Right. And I think... Just that, that's that simple guideline. And I think it was also something that someone said in the beat comments, which I thought was a really great comment. He said, you know, like, this is how people look on the beach. Yeah. And if you went to the beach and behaved like, you know, with yeah. these comments or whatever, you would not be allowed there. And I think that's a really great way of looking at right. it. You know, that you can be relatively scantily clad and still not breaking any decency laws, and other people can enjoy the show without breaking any decency laws. Yes. Well, all this is good, but we have to remember also, it's perfectly legal for women to walk topless on the streets of New York. That is true. So I think what we're saying here is, come on, people, use common sense, uh, be respectful to others. Uh, you know, you can have as many rules written down as you want. It doesn't mean people are going to pay any attention. True, but it wouldn't hurt. Use your common sense and don't treat people... And treat people the way you want to be treated. Right. True. Well, right. But, but I do feel like for people who don't have com- 
For people who don't have common sense, it wouldn't hurt to have a few more guidelines printed. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we should wrap this up now, but I, I will say this is going to be a huge topic of yeah, conversation going be. forward. As it should be. So, so on a lighter note, what parts of the con really were enjoyable for you? Um, did you pick up anything uh, cool of the con? Did you see anyone you really... Well, there were a lot of cool things. Um, uh, I do want to mention real quickly, uh, Heidi did about eight panels, maybe not, but I think I did five panels. Unfortunately, I missed the PW panel because I was preparing for my panel, which was immediately following because I was so crazed that I wasn't able really to do everything. Uh, um, I did a panel, uh, the graphic novel, and I had like six really terrific uh, artists on it. We had a packed room, Mm -hmm. one of the larger. Oh, good. Wasn't a massive hall, but it was a fairly, one of the fairly large rooms on the, um, on the lower in the one, uh, oh, they were all all the panels. They were all down there. All the they? panels were the hall A. Oh, okay, so. all right. So, um, so, it, uh, uh, but it was actually really refreshing. Wasn't a seat left in the place. We got great questions. Uh, I believe we had Tim Leong. We had uh, Tony Cliff, um, the Lido Dirk, and the, and the uh, Turkish Lieutenant Lucy Nisley. Um, uh, one of the women on your panel, Emma Vicelli, um, MK Ree, what the Cute Girl Network. Did I leave anyone out? I may have. If so, I forgive me. But uh, it was a really, uh, it was a really good turnout with great questions from mm-hmm. the audience. Great, great, great. Uh, and and not a you know really not a superhero panel in any way. Mm-hmm. And we were really we were. Well, I think it was a very diverse audience. Uh, my panel just before that was on European comics, which ha- happened to be mostly Marvel artists. Uh, but um, you know, I also did a panel on uh, on uh, movies about comics. Yes. That was very mm-hmm. well. All my panels were were pretty well attended. Mm-hmm. I did a panel that they before. I mean, we talked about this last week. What panels we were going to do? Yeah. So we'll rehash it. But they all. I thought the audiences were all very smart, very engaged. Um, although you and I both also noted, they really need more programming. There's just yeah. there's only like seven or tracks at at one time, and, and you've got these enormous halls downstairs. You could put more tracks. Yeah, on. and I mean it would keep people off, keep people sitting down in one place, and would, would keep them off the floor. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, would make more to do. But anyway, that's yeah. you know we don't run the show, so yeah. we can just <laughs> sit here. It's a suggestion may, box. May not sound like the way we talk. Yeah, about. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I think one of the highlights for me was. Um, uh, surviving. Uh, no, I, I, think one of my, I think one of my highlights was talking to, uh, well, Artist Alley was great. Artist oh, yes. Alley was Artist really Alley. Yes. awesome. It worked so well. Even though people it's, worried, it was in a separate hall. And this hall that it's, it's a in great hall. is actually <laughs> kind of like a shed that was put up while they were doing construction at the Javits over the last few years. However, it is permanent. But it cracked me up that it's actually... It's way awesome. nicer than yes. the actual well lit. It's beautiful. Light. It's like a massive ceiling. Yeah, and I, it's got big bathrooms. I mean, apparently, great. when they build the Javits itself, people like to live in caves and never peed. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Jesus. I mean, but, I actually that is something I've had the most discussions about at the con. Every time I was in the bathroom line, there were always like ten women complaining, being like, "Oh, they were huge. The lines for women yeah, were Where I, I actually, this is my my least." a proud moment but uh it was before one of my panels and i had to use the facilities and i had only 10 minutes and i did i said can i cut in line i have a panel and people were grumbling a little bit but i was like you know i'm here to put on the show for you so (laughs) that was my only excuse that i could have but well, uh, the line con- in the press room was shorter. If it's yeah. any consolation, but that was so that far away. The media room, um, the men's room in the media room had one urinal. So. Yeah, I heard that was, <laughs> so, and it broke at one point. Yeah, so, so it was a little odd. Mm. I mean, I looked at one guy in the line, and we both looked at it and said, "I thought this only happened to the chicks." Well, I did find <laughs> a secret bathroom 
while I was there. Ah, I'll never well, tell where it is. But are. next time, I'm using the secret bathroom. Yeah. But uh, the Artist Alley was great. I mean, that in itself could have been an amazing con. Yeah. And uh, it basically was yeah. its own con. It was and so I far also away. loved talking to the one only thing I picked up at the show was actually an Indian comic. They had a, 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 a pub a booth for Indian comics, and they had these really cool like hard covers. The best known publisher there, but they're kind of like what we might think of as little golden books, but they've been published yeah. since like 1960, and they're, they're very cool. So uh, got some Indian comics, and uh, you know, I I think. And one of the things in my piece that Lance said was, um, uh, for the first time, he's sort of seeing how this is an institution, you know? I mean, this isn't like just a show that, that you know, like a trade show. It's not yeah. just like, yeah. oh, it's this year's, yeah. you know, pipe and drape show. It's a real thing that people, people... have an emotional really connection a, with have, it. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, yes. And they better understand that. That's, that's, I mean, that's something that happens in comics that maybe other people don't really, I guess pop culture in general, mm -hmm. uh, well, that maybe other kinds of shows, you don't have that. Right. Because it's more community-based. Yeah. Like, Pick cars out. just have a vague interest of, I mean, unless you're really super hardcore gearhead, yeah. is not really a communal thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas comics, it has, and indeed many parts of pop culture, have a, a communal aspect. Yes. Of people like to get together and talk about them. Mm -hmm. uh, um, no. Any, no, it's true. Any news? Um, well, Heidi, there's a lot of news. I've got some uh, I, I, I have a couple things here. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, Kate Beaton announced a new book with yes. Scholastic. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, what is that book? Uh, it's about My, my Fat Pony. Her it's just, pony. It's just yeah. a oh. small, it's very yeah. small book. But I, I, I think she has a lot of things underway with various publishers. Um, you know, Marvel had tons of announcements uh, with, you know, a sequel to Marvel Now called brilliantly all new marvel now and uh maybe the greatest name for a comic slide ever marvel but, now er but they're marvel they can get away with it more now more now yes. more now yeah. uh, that will be the next one i'm sure but uh, you know one of the books dan slot and mike allred and silver surfer i mean you know yeah, sale brilliant mm -hmm. you know soul uh let's see did they announce the that now inning the now inning they, yes. they announced uh jeff lemire had a deal with Simon Schuster. yes right, sns yeah, yeah, this yeah actually was just before the show started yeah, just actually a, a, sns um uh signed a um uh it's it's, it's set in canada and a hockey yeah. player returns sounds a little like essex county well, actually it is very lemire-esque <laughs> i think but, you might um, say <laughs> But if you haven't read Essex County, which, 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 it's a wonderful book, yeah. so I suspect this one will be much Oh, you know, there's my alarm. I said we had to we've, stop at a certain spot. So. Little, well, we're going to go on How about we give it a couple award. minutes? All right. Yes, we're going to go on past Go snooze. Okay. Um, okay. Well, let me go quickly. Uh, are you done? or maybe? I, I, I'm done. Okay, so, let me just go quickly we... about some of the stuff that uh, I thought was happening. Um, uh, I stopped in uh, to take a look at the religion graphic novel imprint that was launched, also just as the show was starting. Vital Shift. Uh, turned into uh, an interesting uh, presentation with uh, Chip Brown, the publisher of HarperCollins Christian Publishing, uh, and Jeff Gomez, transmedia guru and uh, CEO of Starlight Runner Entertainment. Now, uh, both of these guys were handing off um, the, the, the discussion at the panel uh, about transmedia and about Vital Shift. Vital Shift was basically uh, an attempt, uh, is, is an attempt by uh, HarperCollins to really uh, uh, really uh, use graphic novels to uh, to create graphic novels for a global Christian market. Mm -hmm. We've seen some activity in this sector earlier this year. Keystone Media uh, launched an aggressive program under Art Iris uh, to launch both uh, Christian graphic novels and some tie-ins with um, some films that are coming down the road. We're going to see much the same 
it, from what I can see out of Vital Shift uh, with the uh, the added um, uh, strategy of transmedia, not simply licensing tie-ins, but transmedia is a is a strategy for extending branded properties. Uh, into a wide variety of media. Jeff Gomez has a long history of doing this. Um, they're on the podium together, but they were very, they were both uh, reluctant to address the issue of whether Jeff Gomez is going to be actually creating content for Vital Shift. Uh, they declined comment. I expect there to be more on this down the road. Um, uh, in addition to that, uh, I had a chance to chat just a little bit with Vivek Tiwari, who's the author of The Fifth Beetle, along with Andrew Robinson on art and Kyle Baker, who has a wonderful Looney Tunes section um, when, and, the, when the Fab Fives are, are in the Philippines. And, and by the way, a- Andrew Robinson has an interview up in our ah, third interview podcast. Actually, on, the, on, on one of our other podcasts, on our d- daily live from the New York Comic Con. With our, with our uh, guest host, Matt. Uh, but this looks like a terrific book. They're basically, it's been released in three different hardcover varieties, both a regular hardcover, a custom hardcover, and a limited edition 1500 copy hardcover. Beatles fans love stuff. And he's at work, uh, in fact, excuse me, he's completed a draft of the screenplay. Uh, he is, they are pushing for a movie. Uh, they have um, Bruce Cohen, the um, uh, Oscar uh, award-winning producer of American Beauty uh, and Milk is his co-producer. And Vivek, who is probably one of the most dynamic, nice guys I've ever met. Yeah, definitely. He's he just a great the guy. the rights to the Beatles music for the movie. Yeah. This is Holy no small accomplishment. A crap. fine, a wonderful book. Uh, there's going to be more to come on that. Um, and what else? Uh, oh, and very quickly, one more thing. I talked with um, the, the guys at Comics Plus Library Edition. This is a pay-as-you-go checkout, cloud-based checkout system for libraries and comics. They've got about 80 publishers. They're actually signing up libraries. The Houston Public Library is in. It's live. People are checking out books now. This may be an answer to some of the problems that we've seen in the digital ebook lending and certainly uh, uh, for digital comics. This could be a, a big platform. More to come on that. And when I was at the con, um, aside from digging up every issue of Suicide Squad, the original Suicide Squad that I could get my hands on, um, I also was checking things out, like you do. Um, Attack on Titan was huge. It couldn't be huge. Yeah, that oh, book yes. is amazing. I, mean, I love I mean, that book. I mean, there was so much Attack on Titan sold, but also so many people dressed Dress for Attack, Attack on Titan. On Titan yeah. yes. um, <laughs> manga is alive. Yes. It's, it's alive. It has bounced back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah. Sort of. Uh, interestingly, Marvel seems to... 6% in the third quarter. Sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. Come on. <laughs> Marvel seems to be really pushing their, not only Marvel Digital Unlimited, but especially their Marvel Digital Unlimited Plus. I mean, they had a huge section of their booth devoted to it. They were handing out discount cards, and they were trying to convince you that you really wanted Marvel Digital Unlimited Plus, which uh, basically gets you into a panel at the Comic-Con and gets you a discount coupon. Eh, not worth it. Um, but uh, DC totally absented themselves, went downstairs. That actually worked really well for them. I think that them. worked out very well because for them. They, I think that's a big thing that happened at the show. Actually, so. um, it really worked well because their crowds then didn't get in the way of anybody else's booth. They had plenty of room for their stuff. They even had a certain amount of quietness. They had a whole meeting area roped off just for them to either have interviews for the press or have their professionals talk to each other or, you know, have anything they need that they don't want a million fans converging on. And it wasn't insanely loud. They had space. They had natural light. It was great. 
Yeah. And I mean, I think that's part of what we were talking about at the top of the show about how the convention center has kind of become, um, you know, gas lamped (laughs) (laughs) in terms of they're trying to expand. uh, They're trying to expand the exhibits outside of what was the traditional exhibit halls at Javits Center, which is not made for consumer shows. So, um, but yeah. one, and one last thing before we, because we're getting close to the end here. Um, congratulations to Jean Yang on oh, yes. being oh, yeah. uh, nominated yet again, uh, shortlisted this time for the National Book Award for Young People's Literature for Boxers and Saints. Uh, this is the second time a graphic novel right. has been nominated for the Young People's Literature Award. Also, a book by Gene Yang. Right. Well, American but the, Born those China. are the only Jeez. graphic novels yes, that in, have ever been nominated for any kind of National Book so, Award, both by Gene Yang, but, um, you know, uh, very well deserved. So, yes. and, anyway. um, and on uh, that note, we, we, I we think have we need a, to wind this We do thing need down. to yep. wind it up. So. Okay. So, hey. All right. Yeah. Well, there will be more to come on all of these issues Absolutely. going forward. There's so much we didn't talk about. You know, ICV2, comicsology, yeah. m- d- more and more and more and more and more. So we'll, we'll, we'll be back with more to, to come. And now, some interviews from the con. I'm here with F.J. Santo, who's a writer of Cyborg 009, which just came out from Archaea. And uh, how's it going, man? It's going great. I'm really happy with the response to the book, and uh, people seem to be buying it, so uh, it's a good, good con. It's a great-looking book, and uh, explain a little bit how you uh, came to write this. Well, uh, in my sort of day job is a film producer, film and TV producer, and I had a relationship with Ishimori Pro in Japan, and and you have this property that's you know known around the world for almost 50 years. You know, I wanted to try some new things with it and bring it out, you know, in a new way. And they were very supportive of that and cooperative as we put this book together. So we got the original manga on Comicsology, uh, not just Cyber Zero and I like the uh, Masters other titles. Uh, so many. I'm sorry. He's got so many. I know. So we got a couple of the classics like Common Rider, Kikaider, Zero Zero Nine. We got those on Comicsology, the original manga. But also, we thought, wouldn't it be great to introduce this to a new generation, you know, especially kids who could pick it up and read it and maybe come to love the original manga or see some of the animation, etc. And that's how we sort of did it. And then I knew it had to be like a really high quality book. So that's when I called Archaea because I knew they put out the best books like this. And how did you approach writing this now? Because it seems to be, I don't really, I don't know of any other Japanese property that's kind of been interpreted for a Western audience like this. As far as I know, it's never been done before. And basically what we did was my co-writer, Brad, and I put together a... um uh, like a treatment, like a really long treatment that had sort of the beginning, middle, and end of the story that took different elements, almost like Batman Begins, where you sort of took different elements from the history of the title and put it together into something new. But it's still literally the same story and same characters. characters yeah. Yeah. We didn't really, because the material is so rich, you don't really have to change that stuff. Uh, you know, we might, in certain cases, like the main character, we gave him a little more of a fleshed out backstory. But it's all the same stuff. Yeah. And we would run everything by the. Uh, guys in Japan to make sure they were happy that the integrity of the characters That's in the world crucial, yeah. right, were sort of intact and then sort of let us go to town on it like that. And uh, have you had any, is it, it's coming out in Japan or is it just It came America? out in Japan in Japanese okay. through uh, Showpro. Showpro are the publisher for all the DC and Marvel stuff in Japan. Oh. So they almost approached it like it was an American book coming to Japan. 
and, and it's actually in Japan called Cyborg 009 USA. And okay. it doesn't, it's a different edition, too. So for the nerds out there like me, it's a different cover that Marcus Toe and Ian Herring did just for that edition. Oh, cool. So you, that's the only way you can get it. And it's a soft cover. And it's a different paper. It's really cool. Do you uh, have any idea how it's being received over there? I, I'm told it's sold really well. People like it. I think the only complaint is that it's too short because I think you have a... Compared to the that's used to yeah. manga that's very thick and stuff like that. It goes on and on. Um, is there any other... Would you ever consider doing another property? Oh, of course. There's a whole library from the Ishimori Library. There's a whole bunch of titles. I would kill to do a whole series of these. And hopefully we get, if this book sells, we get to do more of them. It's great, yeah. It could be the beginning of a cool kind of relationship where you have different properties sort of going, being reinterpreted by different cultures. I mean, you see a little bit of that, but I mean, not to the extent of this. I don't think anybody's done this. Yeah, I don't think anybody's done this. I hope hope I'm not shooting myself in the foot saying that somebody did it somewhere and we don't know about it. But I I, I can guarantee you, exactly, nobody, like the, the care Archaea put into this in terms of getting the talent, the art talent, the design, we have, you know, we have the DJ Bennett uh, hand-lettered the whole book, all the sound design, Ooh, all that man. stuff, um, and we have a guy named John Adams, who's a, a graphic designer, he did the layout of the book and the multiple cover, oh, the cover's awesome. with our editor, Stephen, and I mean, literally the team that Stephen Christie put together for this, you know, I was just lucky that he was able to find such quality people who either knew the property and if they didn't were willing to learn it in such a way that they knew how to deliver the best possible version of the book. Well, it came out great. It's looking good. Um, Anything that you want to talk about in general with comics or any other work here, any other projects? I have, um, I did a a creator-owned thing for DC called Insurgent. Oh, which um, unfortunately was canceled halfway through, but by the time you ever print this, it'll probably be announced, but it's going to come out um, as a collected digital edition very soon on all digital platforms, so I hope people finally get a chance to see where it went and all that stuff, so I'm really proud of that. Cool, and anything coming up in the future? That's the that's the thing at the moment. And then in the film world, you know, I have a TV show at Sci-Fi Channel that's in development. Cool. Uh, I'm producing on Doc Savage movie, oh. stuff like that. That's uh, Shane Black's writing and directing. So um, that should know, be pretty big. Uh, let's hope. Knock on wood. But uh, you know, we're, we're plugging away. But this is my baby. This is the one I'm most excited about. Uh-huh. Okay. And is there any uh, any trends in comics that you're kind of excited about? Anything you've seen at the show that uh, uh, I haven't had time to really go around. But, uh, I mean, I just love, you know, my favorite part is just seeing everybody excited about comics. I'm happy to be home in New York. I, I grew up here. Okay. Um, you know, and I'm excited to see her. And, uh, you know, and it's, you know, I'm just, I'm excited for a lot of the Forever Evil stuff that DC's doing, like the actual series Forever Evil and the Scott Snyder Batman. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I'm just, I'm excited to see what's out there. Hopefully after this I get to run around a little bit and see it. Cool. Well, thanks so much for taking oh, the time my out. Pleasure. Thanks. The book looks great. Yeah, make sure the rest of the comic. Here with uh, Jeff Darrow, artist of The Shaolin Cowboy and so much other stuff. Great stuff. Uh, so how's the con going? How's everything been so far? It's a great convention. Yeah. I understand the security thing, but it's, it's a little tiring a little bit, the badge thing. But I can understand the necessity. It's thousands of people. I guess they got to manage I've never, it I've never, I've never been to a show that's had that. Really? I think San it's Diego, new, right? San Diego, yeah, this is new. But I can understand with what, you know, the history of stuff in the city. I would imagine that 
I'm sure San Diego's thinking, that's such a bad idea. Yeah, they'll probably they'll see it next year. So let's, let's talk about the Shaolin Cowboy. Okay. Thank God it's back. I'm so happy. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. How, uh, how did it come to be, the, the new series? I had always you know, wanted to continue it. I just got busy on other stuff. And so I finally, I've been working on it a little bit here and there and finally figured I better, I kept saying, oh, it's coming back, it's coming back, and I better finish it. And so I finally did. So you approached uh, Dark Horse originally, well, or did I've they come to you? I had a relationship with Dark Horse. Yeah. And, uh, so it seemed like a logical place to go because I enjoy working with Mike Richardson and, Mm-hmm. Good guy, honest, honest, good company, and so. And this is a continuation of the original story, right? Not sort quite, of. Kind of. <laughs> Takes place afterwards, or yeah. the same. You open up the first page; it says six years later. Okay, <laughs> just six years later. And uh, your other work, the other work. Um, Outside of Dark Horse, how? What is that? Um, sorry, How's I, that? I haven't done much comic work outside of Dark Horse. Work for Marvel here and there in DC, but not, not a lot. I've never really worked, done any uh, work for hire comics, Batman or Superman or that. And the original uh, Shaolin Cowboy series. That was with Burley Man. Yeah. And it's a great company. Might we see that collected sometime? Or something you'd have to ask them. I don't have to go yeah. over those, but I know that they're working on um, the other character I helped create with them, with Doc Frankenstein. I know that the artist Steve Spurs is finishing up, and I think it's coming out this summer. Okay, cool. Yeah. And that they'll play. And uh, more of a general question, just uh, Eisenhower. How are you seeing? Uh, Comics right now. Where do you? What direction do you see it going? Anything you like? Don't like? You just. I like everything. I'm glad that there's there's room for everything. If I have a pet peeve, sometimes I'll see these like greatest comic, greatest comic stories or greatest comic stories of the year, and there's never anything like something from Marvel or something from DC. It's always. And all that work in those are really great, but there's got to be some great, you know, main, what they call mainstream comics. It's all kind of, you know, the semi-autobiographical. Or, that stuff's beautiful. I just like, how come you don't see, like, a great um, great story by um, um, Warren Ellis or um, Frank Miller or... There's a lot of uh, Grant Morrison. There's a lot, of, a lot of really good, but their stuff's never in there. It's always, you know. Well, they've won a lot of that stuff, right? Like, I mean, you're talking. Well, but, I mean, it's when you see a book that says the greatest. Oh, it's, it's a lot of, yeah. It's selected by, I don't know. It's all like, highbrow. Portlandia show. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to be pissed at me now, but and I, I, all that stuff is really beautiful work. Yeah. It just seems like there should be at least one. Maybe they figure there's, there's enough of that stuff out there as it is. I guess it's the snobbishness of it that kind of bothers me. But like you said, there's so much room now for all of it, you know, and yeah, well, I, you hate to see it get too fragmented I where everyone's in their I corner. I like, you know, the work of, uh, you know, uh, Robert Crumb or... Uh, well, he's, yeah, Or, Robert let's Crumb. say, uh, I mean, you know what I mean, um, 
that, that's all. It's all valid, beautiful work. You know, I would, I'd like to see a book that's like a mix of all, everything that's available out there. Yeah. Semi-biographical, the like cotton slash stuff, because it all has its merits. Maybe you took the snobbism out of out of comics. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> Especially, I mean, the thing that bothers me is that they're all comic books, and now it's like you'll take a comic book, you'll collect it, and suddenly it's a graphic novel. Oh yeah, it's like a hardcover. Comic and... books, man. Graphic. It's just a comic. It's just a name. Book. Yeah. It's like, it's like oh, we can't call it a comic book. People won't take it seriously. Graphic novel. <laughs> Are you ever going to do a graphic novel? No, I draw comic books. I mean, that's what Same thing. Are. Yeah. So. uh what little, what little I know. So you've got now the new Shaolin Cowboy working on. Is there anything else you've got coming down? Or this usually, this is probably enough, right? That's enough, yeah. But I'm almost done with it, so. How long, how many uh, issues is it going to go for? The first one's four issues. Okay. And then I'll do another, you know. Yeah, just keep going. I talk about doing, I did a, book with Frank Miller called The Big Guy and I might do another one of those. Oh yeah, of course, Rusty, The Guy and Rusty. Yeah. That'd be great, yeah. Well, I think you're one of the artists that as soon as your name is on there, you know, like, you know, it's going to be good. Like stay away. No, stay away. it's the opposite. Away. Oh, I, I see Jeff Darrow and I think, oh, I got to pick that up. Know what he's doing. No. Oh, no. All right, well, I hope you enjoy the rest of the con. Thanks so much well, thank for, for taking the time out. Yeah. It. And uh, good luck with the series. Here with uh, Ramon Perez, uh, artist on uh, the Eisner Award-winning Tales of Sand. He also has been doing work for Marvel and a couple of other places. And uh, how's it going, man? How's the show? Oh, the show's been fantastic. It's uh, very busy, and just the, the crowd's wonderful. Yep. Um, is your first Comic Con at New York, or? Oh no, I've been coming to New York Comic Con since it first started about what seven years ago now, I think. And it's getting bigger and bigger and better, or? The first uh, New York Comic Con was in one of the basement venues in the Javits Center, and I think I, you could have seen it in all about 15, 20 minutes. Oh, wow. So yeah. it could have probably fit, like, two of them in this room. The Artist well. Alley is about three times the size of what that show was. Wow. Yeah. wow. So yeah. it's just, uh, every year it just seems to grow yeah. exponentially. No, it's, it's crazy, yeah. And you're here primarily to uh, for Tales of Sand, obviously. And now well, I'm, I'm here to promote my work, myself, uh, meet my clients, proper publishers, editors, you know, this kind of network, and you know, and also just hang out with uh, my my friends who work in the industry, and you know, since we all are, you know, global have a drink on, on some local turf. Yeah. yeah. And have you, uh, what have you seen so far that's really kind of excited you? Uh, at the show itself? Yeah, it can be specific, it can I be mean, general. I haven't seen anything at the show because I've been in our Sally drawing the yeah, whole time, yeah. but uh, I mean, it's just great to see actually just this many artists under one roof and the, the aisles so packed and everybody looking at you know, these, these, the, all the talent here and just, you know, experiencing that. I think that's wonderful in itself. Yeah, just everyone yeah. appreciating, you know, the art, because without it, there would be no Comic-Con, because exactly. there's no comics, right. yeah. yeah. And uh, I actually admit, I've been a big fan of yours since, I, you know, webcomic, yeah. Butternut Squash? Back I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember finding that a couple years ago, and oh, really? just loving the art. It was one of the best-looking webcomics oh, that I could you, find, man. and all of a sudden I see your name on, you know, the front of you know, <laughs> X-Men, and I'm like, what the, yeah. what's going on? I'd be all over the place. Yeah, yeah, it's been good, though, business? Oh, yeah, I mean, the career's been great. It skyrocketed in directions I never expected, and... 
of riding the wave and trying to survive, really. Yeah, you want to talk a little bit about uh, Tales of Sand? Obviously, it's Eisner winner. It's a big, big book. Uh, yeah. How it started? I mean, how you got involved in it? Uh, I was, well, the way I, the way I got involved with Tales of Sand was I was contacted by Arkea, the publisher, and they were auditioning different artists for the book. And then, of course, myself and about, I think, eight other artists, and they had asked us to do a sample piece based on the script. And uh, so we did that. Whoever said yes to that, I did that as well. And one piece was a pin-up. They sent the work into the Henson Company, and the Henson Company chose their favorite, which turned out to be me. And, you know, luckily we draw. I get to adapt it, and it worked out wonderfully, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and the art is crucial in that book, because so much of it's wordless that, yeah, I mean, no, it really... Yeah, it really relies heavily on body language and art and storytelling, which I, I you know, I think it, it, I excel at to a degree, and, you know, I'm very confident in what I can do, and I like telling silent stories. So, and I think actually going back to the webcomic, I think that helped a lot, because a lot of that pacing came from doing things like humor comic yeah. for years on the web. And um, just in general, I mean, how are you, what is exciting you right now about comics in general? I mean, certain trends that are going on that you think is cool and want to talk about? Or? The thing I love about comics is that we're having the most variety we've ever had in, in the medium since probably the, its inception back in the, you know, 40s and 40s. You get romance books, you have the crime books, you have science fiction again, and I love the variety that's appearing and how a lot of creators are able to go down the indie route and create these wonderful books that everybody can read and enjoy. So I think we're having a bit of a renaissance in that regard. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I keep hearing, that's pretty much what I hear a lot of people saying, that there's a lot of room for everyone, and everyone seems to be finding an audience, too, out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Uh, is there anything else you want to add for about the show? It sounds like you're having a good show. I can think of. Show. Just keep, uh, you know, so thanks to all my fans to keep reading and enjoying my work. I mean, Do you have anything coming out that you want to talk about or mention, uh, if you can? I, I have, unfortunately, nothing I can talk about right now. Um, the only thing I can talk about is actually a project with Arkea. I'm working on a book called Rochester. Okay. And that will be out until probably spring 2015. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you, or anything it's about or genre? It's a modern-day reinterpretation of Jane Eyre. Okay. So it's kind of like a romance with a little bit of uh, action thriller drama thrown in on the side. And you're drawing it or are you... I'm drawing it and I'm collaborating with the writer, Eileen Brosh-McKenna, who uh, is a screenwriter behind movies like... Uh, 27 Dresses, um, Double Wars Prada, Morning Glory. And, okay. Uh, she really, she fell in love with the medium of comics, and now she's looking to collaborate on something. And uh, we were put together, we were put in touch with by a mutual friend, and uh, we hit it off nicely. So. Oh, cool. We're looking out for that when it yeah. eventually gets here. All right. Uh, thanks so much, man. Thanks right, for having, taking the time. Thank you. Here with uh, Ramon Perez, uh, artist on uh, the Eisner Award-winning Tales of Sand. He also has been doing work for Marvel and a couple of other places. And uh, how's it going, man? How's the show? Oh, the show's been fantastic. It's uh, very busy, and just the, the crowd's wonderful. Yep. Um, is your first Comic Con at New York, or? Oh no, I've been coming to New York Comic Con since it first started about what seven years ago now, I think. 
and it's getting bigger and bigger and better or the first uh, New York Comic Con was in one of the basement venues in the Javits Center and I think I, you could have seen it in all of about 15-20 minutes oh wow so yeah. it could have probably fit like two of them in this room the Artist well. Alley is about three times the size of what that show was wow, yeah. wow. so yeah. just, uh, every year it just seems to grow yeah. exponentially no it's, it's crazy yeah and you're here primarily to uh, for Tales of Sand obviously and now well, I'm, I'm here to promote my work myself uh, meet my clients talk with publishers editors you know just kind of Network and you know, and also just hang out with the, my my friends who work in the industry and you know since we all are you know global, have a drink on, on some local turf. Yeah. yeah. And have you? Uh, what have you seen so far that's really kind of excited you? Uh, at the show itself? Yeah, it can be specific, it can I mean, be general. I haven't seen anything at the show because I've been in Artist Alley drawing the whole time. But, uh, I mean, it's just great to see actually just this many artists under one roof and the, the aisles so packed and everybody looking at, you know, these, these, the, all the talent here and just, you know, experiencing that. I think that's wonderful in itself. Yeah, just everyone yeah. appreciating, you know, the art because without it, there would be no Comic Con because exactly. there's no comics. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I actually admit, I've been a big fan of yours since I, you did a webcomic, yeah. Butternut Squash, back I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember finding that a couple of years ago and oh, really? just loving the art. It was one of the best looking webcomics oh, that I could you, find. Man. And all of a sudden, I see your name on, you know, the front of you know, <laughs> X Men. I'm like, what the, yeah. what's going on? I'd be all over the place. Yeah, yeah, it's been good though, business. Oh, yeah, I mean, the career's been great. It skyrocketed in directions I never expected. And I'm just kind of riding the wave and trying to. Survive, really. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about uh, Tales of Sand? Obviously, it's an Eisner winner. It's a big, big uh, book. Yeah. How it started? I mean, how you got involved in it? Uh, I would, well, the way I, the way I got involved with Tales of Sand was I was contacted by Arkea, the publisher, and they were auditioning different artists for the book, and they had approached myself and about I think eight other artists, and they had asked us to do a sample piece based on the script. We did that. Whoever said yes to that, I did that as well. And one piece was a pinup. They sent the work into the Henson Company, and the Henson Company chose their favorite, which turned out to be me. And, you know, luckily the draw, I get to adapt it, and it worked out pretty wonderfully, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and the art is crucial in that book, because so much of it's wordless that, yeah, I mean, no, it really... Yeah, it really relies heavily on body language and art and storytelling, which I, I you know, I think... I excel at to a degree and you know I'm very confident in what I can do and I like telling silent stories so and I think actually going back to the webcomic I think that helped a lot because a lot of that pacing came from doing things like humor comic yeah. for years on the web yeah. and um, just in general I mean how are you what is exciting you right now about comics in general certain trends that are going on that you think is cool and want to talk about or? the thing I love about comics is that we're having the most variety we've ever had in, in the medium since probably the, its inception back in the you know, 40s and 40s you get romance books you have the crime books you have the science fiction again and I love the variety that's appearing and how a lot of creators are able to go down the indie route and create these wonderful books that everybody can read and enjoy I think we're having a bit of a renaissance in that regard. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I keep hearing, that's pretty much what I hear a lot of people saying, that there's a lot of room for everyone. And everyone seems to be finding an audience, too, out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, is there anything else you want to add for about the show? It sounds like you're having a good show. I can think of. Just keep, uh, you know, to all, thanks to all my fans. Keep reading and enjoying my work. I mean, 
Do you have anything coming out that you want to talk about or mention, uh, if you can? I, I have, unfortunately, nothing I can talk about right now. Um, the only thing I can talk about is actually a project with Arkea. I'm working on a book called Rochester. Okay. That will be out until probably spring 2015. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you, or anything it's about or genre? It's a modern-day reinterpretation of Jane Eyre. Okay. So it's kind of like a romance with a little bit of uh, action thriller drama thrown in on the side. And you're drawing it or are you... I'm drawing it and I'm collaborating with a writer, Aline Brosh-McKenna, who uh, is a screenwriter behind movies like uh, 27 Dresses, um, Double Wars Prada, Morning Glory. And okay. she really, she fell in love with the medium of comics and now she's looking to collaborate on something and... Uh, we were, put together, we were put in touch with my mutual friend, and uh, we hit it off nicely, so... Oh, cool. We'll we're looking out for that when it yeah. eventually gets here. All right. Uh, thanks so much, man. Thanks right, for having, welcome, taking man. the time. And uh, don't forget, you can go to the Publishers Weekly website, publishersweekly.com slash comics, and you can stream uh, more to come from there. Or, and we encourage you uh, as well, to go to iTunes where you can subscribe to more to come and have it show up you know, immediately on your various podcast listing devices you know automatically every time so uh subscribe on itunes